it's great to be able to share God's Word with you, and I just wanted to say thank you um, as we approach the end of this series to the preaching team that's done so amazingly as well. So thanks, John, for last week, and uh, Clive that helped um, at the beginning of the, se- the series. Um, I just really so appreciate everyone's uh, preparation and um, commitment to preaching God's Word. So I really trust you've enjoyed this little sojourn into Jude. It's been seven weeks, and uh, Going into the summer, we're going to be doing a series called Family Matters, where we're going to look at a whole lot of issues around um, gender, around how we are, um, our identity in Christ, what that means. Uh, We're going to look at racism. We're going to look at a whole lot of issues in our culture, and we're going to look at the biblical response to those things. And so we're planning that until the end of the year. So we've been praying together as as a preaching team and preparing and doing lots of reading. So we trust it's going to be helpful and help you in terms of what we're experiencing in our culture right now and how that pushes into our lives and how do we respond from a biblical base. So this morning, it's my privilege to conclude um, Jude. And remember, the context has been uh, Jude is trying to write a letter. He starts the letter by saying, I wanted to write to you about this great salvation that we have, but I couldn't help myself. I had to write you this letter about contending for faith. Uh, Stand firm in your faith. And, And we saw how... False teachers had come into the church, and they were trying to influence people, and so he encourages them in this letter very directly in the first half of the letter with a whole lot of Old Testament examples that were perhaps a little bit obscure to us, but to a Jewish context, they would have understood clearly. And now he he finishes with this beautiful, beautiful uh, outburst of praise and adoration and absolute confidence in God our Father who is able to keep us, and we're going to have a look at that this morning. So just to kind of refresh your memory, remember last week John spoke from verse 20 and 21, which said, this builds you, dear friends, now he's, he's trying to encourage them, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for his mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. And so John so wonderfully unpacked those four tools that we have and that's what we do to encourage ourselves in this when we are faced with opposition. And so the title of my message this morning is very simple. It's look in, look out, and look up. Look in, look out, look up. And so John's encouragement to us last week was to look in. This is what you do as a believer. You build yourself from the inside. You pray in the Spirit. You wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus to be revealed. You don't go outside of the boundary of God's love. That's how you keep yourself strong. That's what you do. Each and every one of us individually, that's what we do. We build ourselves up in the Holy Spirit. We root ourselves in the Word. We encourage one another. That's what we can do. Look inward. But Jude doesn't leave leave it there. Do you notice he moves almost immediately to a focus not just on ourselves, but outward. And what does he say? He says... Um, be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them from the fire, to others so show mercy mixed with fear, hating even clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So here he's saying now, he's pointing us outward. He's saying after you've refreshed yourself, after you've built yourself up, you don't just stay in that point, place of, of making sure that you're okay. Immediately what you do is you look outward. And you start to show mercy to other people. And so we're called to walk by the Spirit. That's one of the values that we have in this church. We want to hear 
God's voice for our lives, and we want to respond and know day by day what we should do. And so here, do you notice in these verses that he's saying that we don't treat everybody all the same way? Do you notice that? There's three different ways he says we treat other people. And so he says, first of all, we show mercy to those who doubt, verse 22. So the, uh, the context again, obviously these people that have, co- uh, that have come into the church, these false teachers, they have been convincing, haven't they? That's the thing about false teaching. That's the thing. That's why I keep warning you about what you watch on the internet or what you feed into your brains because it sounds so convincing, doesn't it? That's why it convinces people because it sounds convincing. It sounds like it really is the real thing. And the Holy Spirit has to keep us sharp. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying those people that are started to be convinced by this, you don't cut them off. You don't kind of say, leave the church. He says, show mercy to those who doubt. It's always gracious. It's always kind. You see, the church can never become a place where everybody has to absolutely agree on everything or else you can't belong to it. That's not a gracious community. In this room, there are a whole lot of people with different stories, different backgrounds, different journeys to faith, and we are called to show mercy to each other. And when people disagree with you, you are called to show mercy, even if you think they're in a place of doubt. That's what Jude says. That's his heart right from the beginning. Show mercy to these people. And even though that these people have come in and they've started to have influence, he's kind of saying, don't panic. Don't cut them off. Don't be ungracious. Don't be unkind. Don't fight. What you do is you show mercy to those who doubt. Okay? That's the first thing. And these guys had been obviously convincing so that even... People had started doubting what the apostles had taught them, and, and that's the context for Jude. And so the, the response for us in terms of our own culture and all the challenges that we face from culture at this point is um, we do the same thing. Don't panic. Build yourself up. Show mercy to other people that doubt, that are not quite sure, that have started to be influenced by um, other things, and we wait patiently for the opportunity for when we can speak. That's what we do. We wait patiently. We remain friends and we wait patiently. I'm convinced of this. Sooner or later, false teaching will become obvious to people. And the difference between what is truly the gospel and what is not the gospel will become plain. The trick for you and I is in the right time, at the right place, in the right way, when the Spirit says speak, then we speak. And that's how we choose to um, behave in the body of Christ. And we lovingly speak and make clear what is the difference between the gospel and what is not the gospel. John Wesley, who's a famous Methodist preacher from, from uh, the UK, he said this. He put it like this. Meantime, watch over others as well as yourself and give them help as their various needs require. That's what, he's, that's what Wesley says. Luther said it in a similar way. I've said this before. Beat the, he- beat the gospel into your own head before you try and convince others of the gospel. What is he saying? The gospel must transform you. It must build you up. It must radically change how you think and what you value and what, you, what you're aiming at for your life before you try and pass it on to anyone else. Let it have its full effect in your life. Jude's saying the same thing. 
Build yourself up. Once you've built yourself up, look out. Have mercy on those who doubt. That's the first thing. Do you notice, secondly, he says, um, there's another group of people. We've got to snatch other people from the fire. You notice that? That's the other group of people. Snatch other people from the fire. So there are some other people that you need to confront with um, strongly. The picture is there's a bonfire and there's wood next to the, 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 the bonfire. And because the wood is so close, it's about to burst into flame. So what, what is the picture? There is the picture is that there are false teachers in the church. And some people are about to be convinced. And even if it seems like it's at the very last minute, do all you can to snatch them from the fire. So one group of people, you're absolutely merciful. Other group of people, you recognize where they are, and the Spirit says to you, now you snatch them, and you do all that you can at the last moment to snatch them from the fire so that they don't be burnt. Do you notice there's a third group? third group is this. It says, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even clothing sustained, stained by corrupted flesh. Who's the third group? The third group is us, ourselves. Because in the process of trying to snatch someone from the fire, the risk is that you yourself get burnt. Isn't that the risk? So what is Jude saying? He's saying that actually when you're trying to rescue someone, when you're trying to bring someone back to the truth of the gospel, be careful, do it with humility, do it with fear, so that you yourself in the process are not contaminated or affected by the same kind of thinking and you are drawn down yourself. That's what he's saying. So uh, the, 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 the obvious thing is that just as you are trying to convince someone of your view of the gospel, they're trying to convince you of their teaching, whatever it might be. And so the picture is don't get burnt. As you're showing mercy, as you're reaching out, as you're trying to snatch people from the fire, make sure that you yourself are doing it with humility so that God keeps your heart pure. Three groups of people. That's what we do. We build ourselves up. We look inward, and then we look outwards and show mercy and snatch people from the fire without ourselves being burned. You see, what he's trying to say is that part of authentic Christian living is that we're not just concerned for our own spiritual welfare, our own um, uh, health. We are immediately concerned for those around us as well and others that we genuinely care about other Christians who are edging themselves towards making uh, mistakes and error. And for me, when I was reflecting on this this week, what is so uh, noteworthy for me out of what Jude is teaching us here is that his greatest concern is for people that are getting smashed up by the false teaching. He's really concerned for those in the body that are being damaged by what is happening through this teaching. And so perhaps you like me. You know, I don't, believe it or not, I really don't like confrontation. <laughs> uh, I don't, sometimes because of my personality, I think people think I find it easy. I don't like confrontation. I would far rather not have confrontation. You see, the problem with that is that then you tend to do nothing. You know, I just want to be loving to everyone, so I won't say anything because I really don't like confrontation. You see, uh, I don't think Jude, he doesn't respond like that. The, the other temptation is if we don't want to confront people, we can just withdraw into our little circle where everyone thinks like us. That's easy, isn't it? Where I come from in, from in Africa, um, some of the people make wagons that in the olden days they made what was called a lager, where you put all the wagons together in a circle. 
so that no one could get in. And sometimes our minds can be like that, isn't it? We can just retreat into our comfortable little space and make sure that no one else gets in. That's not how the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes as we lovingly, forcefully, lovingly stand on truth and at the right time speak to challenge and bring correction and to point people to Jesus. That's how it comes. It doesn't come by withdrawing. It doesn't necessarily come you know, you know, you know, uh, by, by just coming into a little circle of people who think exactly like we do. What does Jude do? Jude knows that eventually the wolf has to be struck. You have to. At the end of the day, if there's a wolf in the house, you've got to beat the wolf. And so at the right time, he speaks. And this is the right time in the letter. We don't know how long he waited until he wrote this letter. But there was obviously stuff happening in the church. And so at the right time, he writes the letter and he speaks. And he doesn't miss the opportunity to act when the time comes. And so that's what we need to do. By the power of the Spirit is to wait on God, lovingly keep our relationships with each other, And when the right time comes at the right place, prompted by the Holy Spirit, exactly the right moment, we kindly speak and point people back to the gospel. That's how we want to behave in this church. That's how we want to behave as we start speaking about difficult things that are part of our culture right now. How do we honor each other? How do we speak to each other? You know, I've said this a couple of weeks already. The cancel culture that we live in is so unkind. It's so unforgiving. We are sowing such a terrible thing into our culture right now. If someone doesn't agree with you, you cut them off. You have nothing to do with them. That is not the gospel. The gospel is exactly the opposite of that. Exactly the opposite. And so we have to live that out and demonstrate that as best as we can by the power of the Spirit. So, Jude says, some, the, those that doubt, they need to be shown mercy. Those that are being deceived or nearly about to be deceived, show that strong action, snatch them from the fire. And those that um, need to have caution demonstrated in their lives, we need to do that as well. But at the end of the day, the big point that he's making is that the gospel needs to be made clear. See, the church is not a group of people that believe different things about the gospel. You know, and this is, this is part of the problem that we have right now in our, in our culture. You know, oh, well, you can believe that because that's your interpretation of the scripture, and you can believe this because, and we can all kind of just get along and muddle along together. No, the gospel is a body of knowledge, a body of revelation that has been handed down to us from generation to generation for thousands of years, and our task as believers is to hold on to the truth of the gospel faithfully, without changing it, without being unkind, without being unloving to people, but lovingly standing on the, what we've been entrusted with so that we can pass it on to the next generations without changing anything. That's the truth of what we are called to do. So ours is a fight of, for love, of faith, of wisdom, of patience, of kindness. It doesn't mean because you disagree with someone that you hate them. This is the big lie in our culture right now. If you disagree with me, you hate me. No, I just disagree with you. <laughs> and I disagree because of this. And, and, and I agree with you about this. But, but we need to be wise in how we um, learn to live this out. So we look in and we look out.
And then, I love the end of this letter. It's just like, he can't help himself. It's like an outburst of, it's like worship. He's writing the letter, and, he's, and then suddenly he can't help himself. Boom! He just starts worshiping. Unto him who is able to keep you. Unto him who is faithful. So in, at the end of all of this stuff, all of this disagreement in the church, and all the things he's trying to put right, he just bursts out in praise, and he says, Now, unto him who is able to keep you from falling, I commit you unto him. Amen. That is the heart of this whole thing. He says, first of all, at the end, he's saying, look up. You've looked in. You've looked out. Now look up. Look up to the glory of the one who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless one day before the throne of God. His confidence, his confidence is in the majesty and the authority and the glory of Jesus who is able to keep you. I often feel weak. I don't know about you. Don't, don't you sometimes feel weak? You feel like, God, I just can't do this. It's too difficult. And then I have to remind myself of the promise of God to me, that He's able to keep me. He is able to keep me when I'm not able to keep myself. That's what He's saying. He said, if you trust the power of God in your life, He is able to keep you, and He will keep you even when you feel like you can't keep yourself. His hand is upon you. His sovereign grace is under your life, upholding you and keeping you. Now unto Him who is able to keep you. Unto Him. My confidence for my life is not in me. I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. They know me better than anyone else. But God... He is able. He is able to keep you until that day. <laughs> what else does he say? He says, uh, you know, this is the doxology, right? And all a doxology is a, is a praise of, of God. And, and, and he says here, he says, he's able to keep you from stumbling. Isn't that amazing? You know, why do people, why do we get so anxious about, are we going to be Christians or are we not going to be able to keep this up for the rest of our lives? Here's the deal. If you walk by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and your heart is open and every, every day, every day you say to Jesus, Jesus, help me please with this day that I have to live. His promise to you is he will keep you so that you will not stumble. That's his promise to you. His hand is going to keep you from falling, from stumbling. Oh, man, it's such, I don't know how people cannot believe in the grace of God and be Christians because it is just so awful to try and live your life by your own power, by your own wisdom, by your own authority, thinking that day by day you can actually do everything that is needed to get things done. It's impossible without the power of the Spirit. Now unto Him who is able to keep you. Now unto His grace in your life, His power in your life, He will keep you from falling. Amen. What beautiful, beautiful words. Perhaps, you know, I was thinking, I mean, he's quite strong in this letter. Perhaps the, the guys kind of were thinking when he received the letter, what hope is there? None of us are going to make it. You know, this is too difficult. And yet, yeah, at the end, he just lifts up their hearts and says, no, it's not about your power. It's about his power. It's about him. That's what you're going to be your confidence is. And he says here, um, I was just thinking of uh, mountain climbing. 
You know, if you're an experienced mountain climber and you're going up the cliff, what do you do? You have a rope that is attached to the beginner that is coming after you. That's why they climb in pairs, isn't it? And the most experienced guy is the one going up putting the pinions in, and the learner is, is tethered by a rope so that if he falls, he's held. And that's the picture. We tether ourselves to God, our Father. We are tethered to Him by the power of the Spirit. We are in Him. We, we, we can't fall. Why? Because God is holding you. And the moment you stumble, He's got you on the rope. You're not ever going to fall. If I can only convince you all of that this morning, that would be the best thing. Don't be anxious because you will not fall because His hand is upon you. He has you by His rope. And the Holy Spirit has got you tight, tight to Himself. You're not going to fall. You're not going to stumble. And the same, that's the picture. And then the final conclusion is he says this, and to present you faultless before the Father and with great joy. Isn't that beautiful? You and I that live by faith and walk by faith are going to be presented one day faultless before our Father. And that is the great promise of Ephesians, the glory of the church, Ephesians 5, 27. And um, it's an it's a, it's a incredible thing to think about that in some mysterious way, when we are presented before God the Father one day, it's going to show His glory. I don't understand quite how it's going to be. But every one of us that are in Christ, as we are presented to Him, it's going to reflect the glory of the church and the whole universe is going to see the glory of the church as we are all presented before God one day. What an incredible thing. And there's two scriptures I want to point you to. The first is 1 Corinthians 3. 13, which just says, um, sorry, Colossians 1.22, first of all. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Isn't that cool? That's how we're going to be presented one day. Free from accusation. The devil is going to, going to try and say stuff, and Jesus is going to say, zip. Quiet. Shut up. You've got nothing to say here. This man is free from accusation because of my son. Absolutely. This woman is free. You keep quiet. You've got nothing to say. Free from accusation. And it says, if you continue in your faith, established, rooted, and firm, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Or 1 Thessalonians 3.13, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our Lord Jesus when, uh, when, when, when he comes again with his holy ones. So there's this idea that all of us are presented. But here's the thing. Not all of us are going to be presented in the same way because there is a qualification there. It says we, that we should be blameless and holy. Does that mean that we are sinlessly perfect? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is that over the course of our lives, we have given ourselves to living as best as we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom of God, and in that sense, we are presented to God, innocent and blameless because of Jesus' work in our lives. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So you don't have to worry about trying to be sinlessly perfect. Okay, it's not possible. We are, we are being transformed, and one day when we are presented before God, we will be sinlessly perfect, but until that time, we live by the power of the Spirit as best as we can, and the tone of our lives is that we honor God in every way that we can, and that is what makes us blameless before Him, that we've lived by the Spirit, we've honored Jesus, and He's, over the course of our lives, that's been obvious to everyone, and on that basis, we receive our 
reward. Do you notice? And I don't want to make anyone annoyed. But it's not all equal in the kingdom. There is reward for you and I. And our reward in heaven depends on our obedience. Everyone who confesses the name of Jesus is saved and will be in heaven altogether. But there are many mansions in heaven. And I'm convinced that Moses is going to have a big mansion, right? Much bigger than mine. That's the truth. That's the picture in the scripture is that we are rewarded before the throne room of God due to how we've lived and what we've valued and, and, and how we've given ourselves to the kingdom. So it's not all equal when we get to heaven. Our salvation is assured, but our inheritance is, not, is, is, is uh, dependent on how we live. And so my encouragement to you is give your voice, give your life to obeying the Spirit's voice in your life. Whatever you can do, whatever he, whatever he asks you to do, do it with all of your heart. Why? Because you're storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. Why do you treat people kindly when they're so unkind to you? Because you are storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. Why do we forgive? Because we're storing ourselves up for ourselves, treasure in heaven. That is the picture. We contend for faith. We stand with wisdom and kindness and grace here on earth. That's what we do. We contend for faith. And as we do that, we are building treasure in heaven, and we will receive our reward one day. And what a glorious day that is going to be. And you know what I've thought about this morning, this, um, when I was preparing this? Even when we receive our reward, there's going to be no envy. Isn't that cool? Because there can be no sin in heaven. So when, when Siobhan receives her reward, I'm not going to go, Oh God, why is she getting so much and I'm getting so little? There's not going to be any of that. All it's going to be in our hearts is we're going to just rejoice with everybody receiving their inheritance. That's what it's going to be like. Free from envy, free from sin in every way. We're just going to celebrate every believer that receives their reward. And it's going to be, Yes! Like that. Everyone is going to feel that for everybody else. Man, that's a cool thing. I'm very loud today. I know. I can see people. And so then he finishes with this. He's already raving. He's already like so excited. And then he finishes, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. It's just like it's, you can't get it out. You can't express it. It's just like it's too much. What does glory mean? Glory means all the aspects of God's character that shine out of him, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his wisdom. That's what glory is. And then what is majesty? It's the visible sign that you are king. What is power and authority? It's the strength to make things happen, to get everything to work together for the will of God. That is true authority. And, and uh, Judah's saying all of these things all at the same time. Wisdom, power, majesty, all authority to him now and forever and ever. Amen. For all time, increasing majesty and power and authority to Jesus. And so when we, when we worship, when, when we give God those things, we're not, we're not kind of, we're not adding to, we are just recognizing every time we worship and say, God, you are worthy, you, you've, your, your majesty and the power and your awe is there for all to see. We, we're not kind of trying to add to it, we're just recognizing what it is, and when we do that, it brings glory to God. 
it's, it's absolutely incredible, the privilege that we have. And here, I conclude with this. After this amazing declaration by Jude, I just want to summarize and say, yes, there is deception in the world, and there's often deception in the church. There are people with various theories and opinions that are not the gospel. They are enemies of the gospel. But Jude's message is this, and this is my encouragement to you this morning. Despite that, despite all of that, God is greater still. He is still on the throne. He wins. And at the end of time, if we just stay with him, we are guaranteed of the same victory also. And this is the joyful conclusion of this letter that Jude is trying to encourage us with. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne room one day to the only wise God, our Savior, glory majesty, power, authority, dominion forever and ever before all ages to the end of all time, now and forever. Amen. That's how he encourages the church. And that's how I want to finish this morning. Encourage you. Look in, look out, look up to him who is glorious in every way. Absolutely. And he will keep you. He will make his face to shine upon you. He will give you peace. Amen.